Wait, are you... <laughs> are you gonna count me in? Whatever. I'm just gonna go for it. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the 80s, I'd love to say Queen's rule. But they don't. Queen's lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities. And they're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. Now here's your host, Amy Singleton, the queen of realness, leading conversations about business, life, and the real shit you want to know. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton, and today we are very blessed to be joined by Queen Miss Dorothy Enriquez. She is the owner of the Elevate Collective, and she is currently coming for, to us from Texas, America. Welcome, Dorothy. Hey, hi, friends. Glad to be here. I'm excited. I cannot wait to get into this chitter chat. Me too. Like we have a lot to chitty chat about because this is the Queen's Lead podcast. You are specifically in the leadership and development space. Uh, you have a new book. I'm so excited to hear about that. And the first thing that caught my attention was draw, what does it say? Be accountable and fabulous. Drop, exchange the pair of victim glasses for a sassy pair of accountability oh, glasses. Accountability glasses. I love that. I speak so much about taking personal responsibility for the crap that's happened to me or that I did myself. So I, I can't wait to get into this conversation. So tell us first, who is Dorothy? What, who are you as a woman? Who am I? So I will do the who am I times three. So I am someone who, if there is not an opportunity for me to be creative, I'm most likely going to walk away. Personal, professional, creativity is important to me. And I came to the idea that I was creative far later, like in my 20s. I was like, oh, maybe I am creative. I was like, I'm not creative at all because I come from a family of tangibly creative individuals. So for me, I am someone who values creativity. I am someone who believes that even if I lose it all, I can get it all back. And so as a result, I am relentless. I am persistent. Um, I am tenacious. And yes. it all more than once. And so I You're yeah. literally the tenacious D tenacious Dorothy. That's what's up. Okay. Yes. Already. We're going to pull out the crown. I love that tenacious. Great word. Yes. So I know if I lose it all, I could get it all back. And then some, um, right. and lastly, I am just someone who really values, uh, the power of faith and believing in something bigger than me. Um, yeah. and that is what has, been able to sustain me and keep me going for years, even when I didn't think like I had any more go in me. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit about me as a oh woman. Oh my gosh. That's so great. And, and something that every woman should aspire to attain because that's when the magic really starts to happen. When you know, like I've been there, done that. I've suffered enough. I've lost it. I can get it back. And then some, I love it. You said, and then some, that's and what's then- up. Yes. I always recover more than what I lost. Um, yes. So yes, 
I'm not afraid of losing it all. It's not fun. Um, no, it's not fun. No, it's not fun at all. Um, but I know that I can recover all. Yeah. Because Lord, do you learn? Do you learn? I say, listen, and the hard way, you won't be repeating it like that. You might repeat right? it. It won't be like that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's an opportunity. I love that. So tell us where, how did the concept of the Elevate Collective come to be? And what were you doing before that? Oh, so look, that is quite the story. Let me see if I can give you like the four minute version. All right. I love it. Um, The way that this all initially started is that when I was in college, I was um, noted as one of the top 10% of leaders in my school. And I was like, really? Because I just thought I was doing what everyone else was doing. As a result, myself and the other 10% of the top leaders all got pulled into this secret class, you know, swap, black ops, all the things. And so we were pulled into this one year long class. And of course, you know, in college, all your classes are semesters. Not this one. It was a full year of everything leadership development all the foundational piece, all the principles, the fathers and mothers of leadership, all things leadership. So I go through this program. It's absolutely incredible. The only miserable part is that it's at 7 a.m. every Thursday. Like I could have just jumped out the window because like I'm not a morning person, never have been. (laughs) So I do this program. It's incredible. It blows my mind. And then I don't think about it for years. And (laughs) I'm going through my career in training and development, instructional design, And I mean, I think components of leadership creep up, but it's nothing notable until towards the end of my career when I'm in a formal leadership development role. And so I'm in charge and part of the process of disseminating leadership development to the entire organization. And then Mm -hmm. it becomes a global position as well. So now I'm in this formal leadership development role and all of this stuff comes back to me like, oh my God, I know this stuff. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you Let know? me pull that out of my old memory bank. Exactly. Pulling it <laughs> yeah. out of the memory bank. And a lot of people were like, wow, you haven't been in this space that long. You have a natural knack for this. And I realized like, yes, I do have a natural knack for it, but it's been deposited and it's like a medicine cabinet. I didn't need it but now I need it. I'm going to go in the cabinet and get what I need. And so from there, I was in that in various versions of leadership development roles for about five years. And during that time, I went into a formal leadership program um, for specifically for black leaders in Milwaukee. And it was at the opening retreat that I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to do this for myself. A lot of people had told me, you know, over the course of that five-year time frame, like you could be doing this for yourself. And I'm like, no, I can't. What makes you think that? Who is yeah. going to hire me? Who is going to pay me? Like, how am I going to fund my life? And there were a handful of people that were like, but you're already getting paid to do it. Of course, like I did not make that calculation. Yeah, yeah. I have to bring logic to this conversation. Nobody. <laughs> but I'm in this program and like something something finally clicks. And then I paddle into my boss's office and I'm like, look, you know, I'm gonna quit this job, right? Uh, Yeah. God, Like, yes, I know. No, please do your work. Get out of my face. I support you. I know you're going to quit. Go do your job. So 
I end up, so I paddle into her office, I think in 2015, to let her know I'm a quit. And then in 2018, I quit. And so I was like, wow, like, wow, 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 all the things. And that is how the Elevate Collective, which we used to be called the Communication Strategist. So we used to be teaching We changed to TEC, but that is how the Elevate Collective came to be. I had to really bolster my confidence in Dorothy, right? And my self-efficacy to be able to say, yes, I'm, I'm gifting my leadership to this company, but my leadership is portable per Sarah Noble, biz partner extraordinaire. My leadership is portable and I can take it everywhere I go and I can use that into a business and build something really successful and notable. And that's wow. exactly what I did. Girl, I got chills when you said my leadership is portable. That is going to be, that is a mic, the first mic drop moment of this episode. Holy shit. Like how do we not sometimes realize that like our skills are portable to every area of our life? I yes. always talk about people constantly come on here and they talk about work-life balance. How do you do it all? How do you work-life balance? Girl, you don't have, you're not wearing 10 different hats. You're wearing one crown and every single jewel on that crown is just a part of your life and you take it where you go. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Mm. I, that's good. That's I love good. That. That's good. And, and I love that you're telling people that you've got the one crown, right? Because I do think a lot of leaders are splitting themselves in two, three, four. And then you've got your work persona and your personal persona or your work persona. But then you've got your spouse persona, your parenting persona. Like, how can you infuse everything Mm -hmm. that you are to be the most authentic version of yourself everywhere you go? So you can be consistent, coherent, congruent. So essentially, it doesn't matter where I find you. You're still Mm -hmm. you. And I'm not confused by how you're. So I love that it's one crown and all of the jewels represent the different facets of your life, the different spaces of your life, if you will. That's right. Absolutely. So you said like you didn't, it doesn't sound like you initially had any aspirations to be an entrepreneur or business owner. Did you have an example of that in your life that, that you saw? So funny enough, So this is a two part. So hopefully I can like keep my thoughts together. So no, this was not my first foray into running a business. It's like my Mm -hmm. fourth, fifth. Oh, okay. I didn't want to do what I did for work because that that didn't seem sexy and exciting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. First, my first foray into entrepreneurship was starting a talk show. So I lived in California, right? Everyone does something with media and entertainment. How fun. I started this talk show and it was supposed to be designed for millennials, right? And the things that we want to think about, things that we want to talk about. So I didn't want to be Oprah. I didn't want to be Ricky Lake. I didn't want to be uh. Jesse Raphael. Depending on how old you are, you're like, who are those people, right? But I wanted a talk show that really spoke to what millennials okay, were. Hey, Sally. <laughs> yes, that's no, right. I know. I am 42, <laughs> fully 42 in Gen X maybe, but but still I know those people for sure. But yeah, you wanted to be are, Dorothy. You are not Gen X, you are Gen Y. You are oh, Okay, Gen Y. Okay. Um, I want to say the oldest one is like 43. So oh, okay. This one. Um, so I wanted to start this talk show. So I was meeting with my coach and she was like, "Why don't you just write up what a talk show could be?" 
And then like, we'll just take it from there. That is just not the Dorothy effect. That's not how we roll. And so I literally drafted it and then turned around and executed. It was incredible. The production value was so low, but just the experience of building a team and having producers, having directors and having makeup and hair and wardrobe, like the experience, I was like, oh, no, like I got to be, I got to be doing something. So I produced the show and something ignites within me that I'm like, this is all making sense. Because when I started in corporate, I want to, so I started in corporate when I was 23. So I've been a teacher at a university level for like two years. And I was like, I look too young. I need to wait until I look older. And then I'm like, (laughs) so older, I'll be a teacher again. But for now I look too young. So let me go get a job. So I start working at 23 and within 60 days, I was like, cannot do it. I cannot do this. I call my dad and I'm like, bro, (laughs) off the building. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, don't you hate it? He's like, hate what? Your job. He's like, no, I love what I do. What is happening? Like, why didn't I catch that bug? Whatever you can give me some, because I don't have that same feeling. I literally didn't like it at all. And I thought Mm -hmm. something was wrong with me. And I would spend 15 years raging against the machine, Mm -hmm. trying to get myself to be corporate. And I did okay. But I I think some folks are really built for that. And I was not. So starting the talk show, I was like, there's a life outside of corporate. So it, it was very expensive, production value low. And then, you know, I felt like, after, so I shared in the beginning, like my faith is important to me. So I get saved and God's like, start a magazine. And I'm like, okay, so this is not what I signed up for. Um, if you're God, you know, I practically failed journalism. I got a D yeah. devastated. It was like my first D and only D in college. And I just was like, this is a disaster. Like, why would you ask me to do something that I suck at? And the response, but God, because, right. but God, when I say, so the oh, okay, because I know you don't like people That's and you right. can't do this by yourself because you're not good at it. And I was like, okay, can I get my money back? Can I get like a refund? Can I like go back to church and rescind my yeah, offer? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't like it. Maybe so, a little negotiation here, like something. We got to fix this. Right. Just being real bad. Like, no, I won't do it. Long story short, I did it. Started the magazine and proceeded to do it for eight years and learned a lot and forged a lot of amazing relationships. So that's the second business. Nice. Forever in the red, forever in the red, forever in debt. I really just (laughs) didn't understand how to make money and I didn't understand how to make a dollar. But what I did understand that was really important from a business standpoint was how to build relationships. This mm-hmm. is a relationship and a network game, the end. Mm-hmm. So I got out of it what I needed to get out of it. And I really started to understand the human capital element of why you need people. Cause you don't go as far as the dream. You go as far as the team. So I needed mm-hmm. to. So then the next go round was starting a writing consulting firm. I learned how to make a dollar. But what I also learned, and part of it had to do with positioning, but what I also learned is that because we all know how to write, people don't necessarily see the value in the 
They're like, well, I know how to write. Why I got to pay you thousands of dollars to write for me? I can write for myself. And I'm like, yeah, but your writing skills are trash. Yeah, That's yeah. But look at what you write down. Right. If you don't look at what you wrote down, though, and then look at what I wrote down. That's right. why. But one of the things I wanted to get out of was having to educate people and like force my value upon them. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I am more of an ambivert. I'm like an introvert, but an extrovert. I'm a little bit of both. And so yeah. writing is very solid. It's very solitary. So I was like, For okay, sure. So I shut that down. And then the communication strategist was born and then sort of like shifted and put that to bed, rebranded. And here we are at the Elevate Collective. So not my first foray, okay. more like fifth, but yeah. also what I found out in interviewing my mom um, about two years ago, I found out that she started her own business when she was eight. Oh, and wow. So, um, growing up, she was a fashion designer and a seamstress. And so oh, like cool. back, back back in the day, like her clothes, like the stuff that she made would be in the windows at like new company and stuff. Oh, like cool. That. Yes. So oh, my gosh. Saw, like an entire dress. So what most people don't know is back in the day, clothes were made in pieces. So like this person made this sleeve, this person made that sleeve, this person made the bottom, Uh the other person made the bottom, which is why sometimes it still happens now, but that's why you needed to try on multiple size eights because it was made and it could fit differently. But my mom was the only one who could make an entire dress by herself. Okay. Because everything's like perfect, that's the window. So when her and my dad were dating, they could walk down and see her stuff in the shop windows back that's in the day. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. That's such a great oh, story. Oh my gosh. And I no, I, I didn't find any of this out until I interviewed her. So wow. I'm interviewing her because, you know, of course, one day our parents won't be here. And so I'm like, I need to get, I need to know it all so yeah. that I can have this information, but so I can rewatch and like see my mommy. So mm-hmm. she shared was like, so she learned to sew when she was seven. She taught herself, but she got so good at it that at eight, she opened up her shop at school and she was selling doll clothes to her friends. And I was like, there it is. That's why we're all like entrepreneurial. I had no That's idea. Awesome. I oh thought it was me being like special. Nope. It's in our DNA. Because did your parents end up in the corporate? It sounds like your dad was in some sort of corporate situation. When he said he loved his job. Yeah. So my dad was actually an education specialist, funny enough. Um, And I found that out after I had become a training specialist. So we had similar jobs. Um, And so my dad was in the military for like 23 years. But then when he got out, he went into the leadership development, training and development field, which was the same thing that I was doing. so funny. Getting ready to enter into that space. So my dad and I did the same stuff. Wow. So it's just kind of in your blood. Just sounds like it's kind of in your blood. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, Oh my gosh. But still scary to take each one of those leaps. I mean, it sounds like I love that you share, you know, this failed. I was in the red the whole time, but I learned this. And then I did this next thing. And then I did this next thing. And that's something I think so many of us, at least I did not have the concept that I could turn around 180 degrees, pivot, and then go another direction. 
Because when you've committed your time to an education or a career or a job or a person or a group of people, especially down here in the South, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but we're loyal. We are some loyal people. Like we are going to just get it done, dig our, I mean, especially our age. I mean, it's like that work ethic or whatever is just there that you feel like you have to keep on going, even if it's painful or even if it, you don't like it. Sure. Was it difficult for you to turn and make another decision to do something else? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like, so my philosophy is that the marker of a great entrepreneur is knowing when to quit and walk away. And yeah. so with the magazine, I kept it alive a little longer than I should have. Um, yeah. And with the writing consulting firm, I put it to bed at the right time. Uh, yeah. And with the, with the communication strategist and rebranding, that was also really good timing as well. But I feel like I learned a lot of that by having the magazine for like that eight year time frame, mm -hmm. doing it for so long, hitting my head repeatedly, quitting my job in the middle of it, <laughs> do it full time just for it to blow up in my face. Like them cartoons that we used to see back in the day, they would open the present and their whole face would blow off. Yes. You know, like, or the anvil would <laughs> bop on their head and then it would be right. over. That is what happened to me. And so I think that the marker is your ability to learn from your mistakes, your ability to fail as quickly as possible. Fail mm -hmm. fast, fail cheap, right? And so, and fail forward. And so yes. as failing, what's your frame? Because what we know is that when we talk about our failures and our mistakes with a frame that's empowering, that's when we get the most transformation. So much so yes. that large companies and entities will manufacture failure because they know the impact on the other side is a game changer. But so often oh, yeah. of us, we start to tune into failure radio. You suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. And you're the suckiest of the suckiest. That's why your life yeah. is so messed up. But really, how can we put on a different frame and look through a different lens, take accountability for our part in it and figure out what to do next? Yes, you made this decision and it was the wrong one, but make a new decision, pivot. You yeah. are not a tree, you can move. So what's That's your right. choice? You are not trapped in your own life. Mm. You can make a different choice. You can make a different decision, even if you are afraid. And so yeah. what does that look like? What does that sound like? So that you are comparing you to you. I'm, you're not comparing Dorothy to Amy. And yeah. Amy, but you to you, how are you transforming? How are you evolving? How are you growing? And for where you see yourself, how are you becoming that person today? So for me, it was really an evolution. But that's why I ended up writing the book because it took me a second to learn that. Like when my whole life fell apart, when I quit that job to pursue the business full time because God told me to do it and then it blew up in my face. I was like, whose fault is this? I'm literally looking around for who to blame because it couldn't possibly be my fault. Right. I just did what God said to do. I mean, I'm in your will. Right. This is somebody else's fault. And as soon as I find out who whose fault it is, we're meeting in the parking lot at 3 p.m. and we're fighting. That's right. That's Meet me by the oak tree. That's right. Square up. Let's go. Let's well, go. That's right. As I was trying to figure out who to blame everywhere I looked, there I was. And so I needed to take some accountability 
for how all of this played out. And I needed to talk about my failure in a way that would catapult me to the next thing. Because Mm -hmm. honestly, when everything failed, I was completely in debt. All the credit cards completely maxed out. No job, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't live, not making my car payment. And I was like, I'm never doing this again, ever. I moved back home and my dad's like, yeah, you will. Excuse me. You are not in the running for the world's best daddy award. Why would you say that to me in my weakest, darkest hour? He's like, because you will. This is an opportunity, right? Like, what did we learn? And so his whole thing was, I mean, I was literally licking my wounds. But his whole thing was, you're not married. You don't have any kids. You're single. You're well-educated. You are competent. You can go get a job. You can go get a place. You can start making your car payments. And then you can figure out what went well about this and what caused it to just implode. When you do it again, you will do it differently. And Mm. while I just didn't want to hear anything that my dad had to say at the time, I was shocked because my parents are super foreign and super Caribbean. And so I thought they were going to (laughs) like cut me out. And be like, uh-huh, you see? And that is why you have to get a good job, you know? Like, they didn't do any of that. They were super supportive. So awesome. Who are you? Oh my gosh, like, who are you people? That's when I realized I have, like, kick-ass parents. Like, they are the coolest. I had wow. no idea how cool they were. So my whole life blew up. And so he was right. I really sat down when it was time for me to quit my job again to really break down like what happened. And mm-hmm. some of these things, were, I did not have a plan. I thought I did, but I didn't have a, a right kind of plan. I didn't know how I was gonna make money for real, right? Like I didn't know how to make a dollar for real because I was only used to being in the red and then I quit my job, right? So like yeah. I need to have more savings. I had about two months worth of savings. The next time I would have six. So I really learned a lot and I quit my job in 2018 and I haven't gone back since it's 2023. So it's this learning iterative, who are your people? Who's going to hype you up when things do fall apart? And how are you going to talk about what happened? Not if, but when things fall apart, how are you going to talk about it to you? Yeah, a hundred percent. It sounds like you have, you and your parents have really nailed down something that our mentor, uh, our, uh, we sponsor a mastermind for other digital agency owners and our mentor for the next two years is John Maxwell. And in fact, I have a meeting with him this afternoon at three that I'm missing because I'm on someone else's podcast, but that man has made Uh such a huge impact on our lives because he's talked about getting a return on that failure getting a return on your failure. It's like an ROI for him and getting back in that loop because ah. you try, you fail, you re- redirect and you get right back in that loop. And every time that loop goes up and up and up. And then he talks about the cap on your team being your leadership. Like you are the cap on that team of getting a return on that failure and that investment. And you guys have got that crap figured out. Like you've done that thing over and over and over. So preach a good one. Yes, that's just so great. I'm so happy for you. That's fire. That's hella good. So tell us, do what? 
I need to be on your team so I can hang out with y'all and John Maxwell. You can. Anyone can join the ma- the can join our mastermind. It's not just for us. So it is open. We can talk about that later. Um, but so tell me the kind of work you do with teams and leadership um, development. And what what have you seen as some of the biggest um, barriers to their success? Ooh, that's a good question. Also a loaded question. Totally. So (laughs) work with teams, I would say the, the simple answer is when we're working with teams from a leadership development standpoint, we're usually doing it through a cohort style experience. And so what that means is we're taking a group of people at a time. So anywhere from 15 to 30 people, typically no more than 30. And mm-hmm. we're taking them through this curated custom experience that speaks to the gaps that we're seeing and the impact that we want to have on the other side of the experience. So most mm-hmm. cohort style experiences last anywhere from three to nine months or so. And mm-hmm. so this group of say, 20 people are going through these custom activations, typically depending on what kind of cohort it is, it could be that this is happening, you know, every month for two and a half hours or every month for the entire day. It really Mm -hmm. just depends on what the organization is trying to do. But some people might say, well, why is this going on for so long? Whether it's an hour or it's all day long, why is it going on for three to nine months? So a couple of things. Here's what happens in most organizations. Because most companies don't have the capacity to maintain something like that, they want to pull all the humans repeatedly, right? So like, you know, everyone has to come to this program every three years. Same program, you got to come every three years for like your refresher. The program lasts all day long or it lasts four days straight. We pull everybody off the floor, have them go through the program. Yay, that was amazing. That was impactful. And then we go back to work. And within about 45, 60 days, it really wears off completely because there's no sustainability. There's no anchoring. And for the most part, the programs don't build on one another. It's just the same thing. So when you go again in two, three years, if you even get a chance to go again, Mm -hmm. if there's um, bandwidth, you're still taking the same program. It is a great refresher, but there's no sustainability in anchoring. And so what do I mean by that? You're not going through with the same people. So you're not going to be in the same class to say that you're going to have that accountability built into the cohort. The learning is often rote. What does that mean? Well, you learn that one plus one is two. If that equation changes, all of a sudden you're struggling at work knowing that we have an agile landscape and a competitive marketplace. So we don't want the learning to be one plus one is two because leaders have to be way more agile more innovative, and they have to be able to expand and contract their leadership accordingly. But a few other things that come with having this cohort style experience is that you're not just focused on what's happening in the classroom. You've got the practical stuff that you're supposed to do and the transition activities and experiences that you're supposed to have in between sessions. And That coaching piece is where you're going to ignite the most transformation because that's then making that content, taking it and making it personal because what Amy needs and what Dorothy needs is night and day. We don't need the same stuff. 
We're not facing the same problems. We don't have the same gaps in our leadership. And I need my own personal time with a coach to be able to process what the heck am I supposed to be doing? My whole life is happening. And we just talked about this. And I don't know how that's supposed to apply in this culture. The Mm -hmm. other big piece around these cohort style experiences really speaks to cultivating competence within the culture. What what organizations often also do due to bandwidth issues is they send Dorothy and Amy to the leadership program in Pennsylvania and Dorothy and Amy take notes for the three days, come back and teach us. We go, we have a blast, we're amped. We come back to the company, we're like, let's do all of this. And our leaders are like, we can't. For this this reason and this reason, the culture cannot withstand the change. What happens to Dorothy and Amy? we start to disengage, we start to demotivate. And depending on the influence that Dorothy and Amy have, now our team is adversely impacted because we've lost quite a bit of steam because we came back ready to change. But that program in Pennsylvania did not consider our people, our culture, our goals, our bottom line, our mission, or our vision. So being able to develop these types of programs in collaboration with the leaders and those impacted are what make it um, sustainable and impactful. And then the transformation lasts beyond the time that we're there. That's so good because I don't know how many conferences, summits, whatever trainings I went to when I was in still in nursing, when I was at the hospital I and mean, talk about corporations anymore, that's what it is. And right. Yeah, that's exactly. You go and you get all like judged up and then you come back and like, yeah. well, our department's not doing that or we can't yeah. do that or you're the only one that knows that. Or yeah. it's like my mindset coach will tell me like when I have this beautiful new concept that I want to rush out and share with everybody. One, I'm usually not explaining it right. And two, those people aren't ready to receive that. That was for Amy. Quit trying to share your light with everybody. They're not ready for that. They're not there. You got a great big ego. Just calm down, sit down, take a seat. <laughs> Right. You know, so yeah, there's a total mismatch with, with what corporate America is doing and what people really need. People we're dealing with people, not numbers and spreadsheets. These are people. If you want your numbers and spreadsheets, good develop your people. Right. Say that again for where's the mic. What did I say? If you want your numbers and spreadsheets to look good, develop your people. Listen, that mic drop. I mean, it's, it's what we've seen as the biggest impact people relationships. Um, that's the two things that you've said. So talk, I can't believe this time's going by so fast. I feel like we could talk like forever and all day, Uh, which is great. I love it. Um, well, let me just run down to Texas because I'm there all the time. I'll just be with you and like have coffee talk. Happy hour. That is exactly right. So, um, the book. So I'm only, I can only assume this book came from your extensive work with people and going, could I please get some people to take some freaking, uh, uh, do this business. Yeah. Can we do this here? So talk to us about the book and, um, and yeah, talk to us about the book. Yes. So this is be accountable and be fabulous. Growth looks good on you, girl. And so the book is broken down into three sections. So the first section is really about work. My my um, my hypothesis was that there are a lot of fabulous women walking around in pin thin heels and pencil skirts who aren't taking accountability. And so the <laughs> first section is really about what we're doing at work. 
Um, how can we take more accountability? And how can we really focus on our personal accountability? What would that look like? What would that sound like? What would that feel like? And if we're not doing it, what are we so afraid of? What's holding us back and making us say like, I am not raising my hand to say that I forgot. I'm not raising my hand to say I need help. I'm not raising my hand to say that I made a mistake. I'm just not doing it. And so kind of unpacking that and figuring out well, where is that coming from? And I share personal stories throughout the book around reasons why I was like, I'm not being accountable. I quit. And here's all the reasons why I quit. But how can we turn our perspective? How can we circle the block and then adopt a new perspective that's actually going to help us lead more impactfully and more effectively? The second section is really dedicated to relationships because what the research shows is that our partners like it when we have that personal accountability. It cannot be everything is their fault. Like it's because of you. That's why I cuss you out. It's yeah. because of everything that makes you you. That's why you get on my nerves, right? But how do we take personal accountability for how we're showing up in the relationship for our family? And then the last section is about the family and friends. And so it's broken down into those three basic categories that I feel like a lot of our lives fall into. But the book is really about maximizing you. Accountability, I get it. It's not a sexy word. Um, but what happens is when we can take radical accountability for who we are, who we're becoming, how we're showing up or not showing up, what we're doing or not doing, that is when we start to really see transformation because what we know is that discipline breeds freedom. Doesn't sound like, okay, well, if I'm disciplined, how am I free? But we're disciplined. You are so right. Um, mm. Right? I'm going to pin that to my head for the rest of whatever you're saying. <laughs> Listen. No, it's true. I've lived it. I have lived this. Yeah. I have lived this. I mean, when I got a divorce from my junior high sweetheart, we'd been together since we were 12 years old. And almost 20 years later, almost 10 years of marriage, two little boys, an entire relationship, and poof, he's gay. I sat in the victim seat for so long, but it wasn't until, I mean, to the point that I became an addict and it was really bad. Like I almost killed myself many, many, many times. I was so depressed, but it wasn't until I started taking, I, I just say personal responsibility, but it's the same to me, accountability, responsibility, taking responsibility for what was my part in that? I had a part in that. It wasn't my fault. No, but it was my responsibility to deal with it, to deal with me, to deal with what the hell was happening to me. I'm sure. better than that. And, and looking in and going, where can I take that action? Where can I? And the little actions at first were so small. They were just walking out to my mailbox. Like I couldn't do any more than that. But I was able to finally grasp that concept of that responsibility. And it's been uphill ever since. I mean, you know? Yeah. And I mean- I wote the book before I got married, but then published it after I got a divorce. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Definitely some victim glasses being worn. And I just was like, I can't believe this is my life. Like I just, can't. and now I'm a single mom. I'm a baby mama. I just was like, oh my God, like this is my worst nightmare. Like yeah. I just, cannot believe it. Like, I hate this. And funny enough, I thought about staying just so I wouldn't have to say I was divorced. I wouldn't mm. have to. Um, 
I wouldn't have to even contend with anybody even thinking I'm a baby mama. And I just was like, really, it just took, I, I felt like I just really was vacillating between like, stay, go, stay, go, stay, go. Even though going felt like that would have been the thing that would set me free. Mm-hmm. I just was contending with, but what's the cost? How long will it be before I feel like, oh, it was it was all worth it. Like how many months, how many years would that take? And mm-hmm. to avoid that, should I just stay? Oh, but I was so mad. I was mad. I was hurt. I was resentful. I was bitter. I was just like, you lost me. Because if you would have told me how you were, I wouldn't have picked you. But yeah. at the end of the day, I picked him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. what do you do after the picking? And for me, it was, I made a decision to say I do forever. Boom. I'm pivoting and I've decided I don't. Mm-hmm. I do right. not. I do not mm-hmm. and I will not. And we're going to co-parent this little baby. And we're going to try to figure this out to the best of our ability. And when we can't co-parent, we're just going to parallel parent. Yep. That's what we're going to do. Right. Um, yeah. It cannot be that I'm resting in this victim state endlessly. Oh, my God. Because I just feel like because my baby was a baby when I filed, I just couldn't. I could. I, I just didn't have a second to even be depressed in peace. Yeah. So I just had to like keep moving. But I do feel like that's also not the best place to be in because you're just running on fumes and Mm -hmm. just surviving. You're not. And so I had to do a lot of work to really heal and recover and figure out what does life look like moving forward? And how do I give myself a new frame? And how do I have a funeral for my dream? Because mm, married once, have all my babies with the same man, and we so die. You know, within two, three years of each mm. other, at the ripe old age of ninety and ninety-three. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. oh my gosh, the funeral for the dream was critical, so that I could let that go. And mm. I really had to go on a journey. Hell, not that long ago, like a year ago around redefining family, because for me, family is two parents and children. And so it was just me and my daughter. And I was like, we're not a family. It's just me and my daughter. That's what we are. It's me. It's a mom and a baby. It's a mom and a child. And so one of my mentors was like, well, why don't you ask your daughter who her family is and who's in it? And so my daughter, she said, well, we're a family, mommy, me and you. And I was like. I guess we are. Give that little toddler the tiara. Okay, that's so good. And I'm going to go on this journey of redefining what family means. And now I there's we are a tiny family of two. Me and yeah, you are. That's Mm. why. I'm so powerful. I'm I'm so grateful for women queen leaders like you that are willing to stand up and say. As hard as it is when you're in that victim mode oh my God. to understand that if we can just take a step forward, no one's coming to save you. First of all, ain't nobody, nobody coming to save you. Nobody. nobody. Even God is not going to come to save you. You're going to be at sea. He's going to send a boat. He's going to send a helicopter. He's going to send it. He's not going to come save you like someone else in your life. And you have to take that action to save yourself. And when we do that, 
the things that open up, it, it's so freeing. It's so that, that your entire future is ahead of that scary, scary step out of the victim and into responsibility step. And not enough people are freaking saying that. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's where your power is. You have to take the responsibility because no one's going to move you forward like you will. Exactly. And so these are decisions that we have to make. And even not making a decision is a decision. But right. if you look at what it means to decide, it goes with all the other sides. Homicide, suicide, it means to cut off and to kill something. So mm. if we decide I'm moving forward, I am killing off the option to not move forward. If mm. we decide this is going to be how I define family, I'm killing off the old way of how I define family. If we decide mm. I'm going to be a better leader, we're killing off the leadership traits and characteristics that don't serve the leader that we're becoming because we mm. want to be consistent. We want to be congruent. We want to be coherent, but decide, right? That word means to kill off this stuff over here so that this thing over here can be and become. And so, so you're good. right. You so are the one that you've been waiting for. No one is coming to save you. And Yes, definitely. Do what you got to do. Say your prayers, read your word, but you still have to move your feet and That's you right. still move your mind forward in courageous possibility. And mm -hmm. while you won't be perfect in performance, because none of us are, you can be perfect in position. Where are you going and what do you That's need right. to do? There? Mm, girl, that is so good. Oh my gosh. What a great episode this is. I cannot wait till this drops. Okay. So Tell them where, if they want to be like you, accountable and freaking fabulous. Step down, honey. They could be better than me. That's yes. right. Where can they get this book and connect with you, especially if they have team leadership needs, um, personal development leadership needs, or just get their hands on this book to start? Sounds like a great first step. Tell us where to go, where they can get that. So you can get the book at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Amazon or you can paddle over to the book website, beaccountablebefabulous.com. And you can get the book from there as well. You can also take the free quiz. When you take the quiz, you'll get your results and you'll get a checklist of a bunch of things that you can start doing right now to hold yourself more accountable day by day, week by week, month by month. So that oh, is- I love that. will be fabulous. That's good, girls. Go over to- be accountable, be fabulous and get that quiz. Let's see. I mean, I love a good action step, an action plan because I can follow a plan. Even if yeah. I don't know what to do yet, I can follow your checklist and that can get me started, right? Absolutely. And it's a great way to get started, especially if you're like, yikes, I don't know where to start. That checklist will help you. I love it. Dorothy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being everything that you are and accountable and fabulous. And thank you for being a queen that leads. Yes, Queen that leads. We are right. The Queen's Lead podcast is recorded worldwide and produced by the kick-ass media team at the Height Digital home base in Nicaragua. Until our next episode, stay real, Queens, and go lead. Remember to tap that follow and leave your review. For freebies and more real, inspiring content you love, go to amysingleton.net. And connect with Amy on our socials at The Real Amy Singleton. One more thing. This is the legal language, what my lawyer wrote and what I need to read to you. This podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only. 
I am Amy Singleton, and I'm just your friend. Although I may speak to many on this show, I am not a psychotherapist, a business coach, a doctor, a CPA, a lawyer, or probably anyone who should be giving you professional advice. This podcast is not a substitute for a relationship with your doctor, coach, or any other licensed professional. Got it? Good. Now go be a queen and follow me at The Real Amy Singleton.